I, um, for those of us that were in the prayer meeting this morning, I think we know what's going to happen today. Um, because I'm not going to just preach a, another sermon. Um, I was preparing this week for, sorry, I'm, I'm trembling inside, so I'm just trying to keep it together. <laughs> I, um, this whole week I've been trying to prepare this message. Um, I had something on my heart that I wanted to share, but I just felt Holy Spirit drawing me to this place of intimacy and, and being one with Him and, and that deep place in His heart that I haven't experienced like that before, that kind of level. I love that He's always taking us deeper. He's always taking us further. There's always more. Um, and so I just felt Him doing that. And every time I sat down to try and prepare what I had on my heart, I just couldn't put anything down. And I ended up just on my face, on my face, on my face. And... Um, I believe that there's a wave, there is a, a movement, there is an outpouring of Holy Spirit that's about to happen that the world has never seen before. Um, I've just been listening to, to different guys around the world recently um, and the stuff that's happening and, and the, the things that are going on and the mobilization of the church worldwide is like we've never seen before. And we've got to be careful that we don't get caught up in our own little lives and miss the dream of God and the story of God and what He's doing across the earth. And... Um, I feel God's about to take me into a season of, of prayer and fasting, and I think He wants to take us all into that season. Um, because before any Jesus movement is a Jesus fast, because you prepare yourself, you get yourself ready, you set yourself apart uh, for God to break in and to just come rushing into your life. And so um, we don't have to earn anything, but I really feel like this is a season where God wants to see a display of our hunger. He wants to see us actually begin to seek Him with everything that we have. And so I've just... Um, kind of been getting myself ready, psyching myself up. I was about to go into a, a fast and then I realized that I have an operation tomorrow and that would probably be a bad idea. <clears throat> so um, I'm, I'm really trusting that, that after this time, once I'm recovered, that we're gonna go into extended times of prayer and fasting where we're gonna see the supernatural happen in our lives all the time. So today I, I kind of wanna share, I wanna talk about being the bride. Um, if, you, if you listen to... Um, a couple of weeks ago, I preached a two-week series um, on the church, and I spoke about the body, and I spoke about how we all fit together, and that every single one of us have been placed just strategically by God for a purpose, and that Jesus is using the local church as the vehicle for revival. He's not using anything else. He's using the local church. And yes, we've seen ministries that had to be birthed outside of the local church because the church forgot who she was, and so sons and daughters got frustrated and had to go and do this, uh, and the reality is it was needed at the time because the church wasn't being who she is. But now, the greatest revival that the world is going to see is when the church rises up and starts to be who she is. She starts to actually become heaven on earth. She starts to manifest heaven on earth in every single sphere of influence, but we have our reach. Suddenly, we begin to see revival on a day-to-day -day basis. That's what's happening right now across the earth. Um, and so don't take these gatherings lightly because really what it is, is it's like the command center for war. We're getting together, we're strategizing, we're preparing, we're equipping, we're, we're sending people out. Um, I believe we're in a season now where God's gonna turn this uh, into a training center. Where we're gonna raise up sons and daughters that carry the heart of God and are prepared to go to the deepest, darkest places where no one wants to go. That might be the brothel down the street or it might be Afghanistan, or whatever it is, the deepest, darkest places. But I wanna talk about why that response happens. And... I've realized that being the bride, we want, we want to talk about intimacy. We want to encounter God together like this and have the incredible experiences when, uh, when the, ba the band's playing and we get that, those goosebumps and those, wow, tingly kind of Holy Spirits in the air feelings and it's all beautiful. 
But if, if there's not an intimate one-on-one personal relationship with Jesus, it means nothing. And I really feel like what's come under attack in the last little while is intimate one-on-one relationship with Jesus, personal relationship with Jesus. See, we've got so drunk on his presence that we've forgotten about his heart. I just, I mean, we love his presence. I love that he's in the room. But I just don't, I don't want him just to be in the room. I want to know his heart. I want to feel what he feels. I want to think about what he thinks about. I want to know what he thinks when I look at you. I want to sit in boardroom meetings with business guys, look across the table and actually feel the heart of God for that person. I want to, I want to be so trusted by God that he begins to give me uh, the secrets of people's hearts to unlock them. This only comes from a place of relationship and intimacy with Jesus. You might find yourself in a place where you seem to live a mountain to valley lifestyle, where you, you, you take one step forward, two steps back, and there might just be that one thing in your life, you know what it is, that just seems to always hold you back. You just seem to always fall back on that default, that little thing in your life that, that you feel is like it cripples you. And um, I really wanna tackle three things today that I know are crippling the local church. It's guilt, shame, and condemnation. And we, we've preached a message of grace, and we've made it a religion, and we haven't encountered the person of Jesus who actually sets you free. And we've gotta be careful that we don't talk the language and make the message your religion, but you have no relationship with the person because when you meet the person, the second half of what I'm gonna share today, revival happens. When you meet the person, you become revived. Together as a corporate group of people, we become revived and suddenly we begin to bring revival to the world. But if you don't know him this morning, and and I I really wanna make this clear, I'm not talking about you spend your two hours every day reading the word and and praying and I'm not talking about that. There's a place for that and I love that. But I'm talking about knowing him like we know each other. I'm talking about actually knowing him as a person. And I've been so challenged on this because you can get so used to being in his presence that you forget that he's actually a person, that he actually wants to engage with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to share the secrets of his heart with you. He's, He's alive. His presence is beautiful and it's incredible. When we come together, we enjoy that. But he wants to say something so divine and incredible this morning. And I can actually feel the weight of God on it. And that's why I'm kind of like, just get ready. Can we do that? Can we just just open your hearts for a second? Father, I just thank you right now. We're so hungry, Lord. God, I pray that we wouldn't become a sermon-proof people that get used to hearing sermons. We sit there and we nod our heads. And God, I pray that we would be hungry for you. Hungry for you, Lord Jesus. Hungry for who you are. That there'd be a deep desperation in us to know you more every single day. Father, I ask right now that you just begin to speak into our hearts. Just begin to speak right now. We just yield to your voice this morning, Jesus. We just yield to you this morning.
just keep drinking deep like this. This is, this is exactly the atmosphere that we want to create this morning. If you do have your Bibles, you can open to John chapter 15. I just want to share a couple stories first and then that's a real, real simple message this morning, but it will change everything. I've, been, I've got this passion about revival. I can't shake it. I, I'm so passionate about reading up and learning from guys in the past who lived in the supernatural. It was their, it's everything that they lived for. They gave up, they sacrificed everything that they ever knew before Jesus, and they gave him everything, and they watched him do the supernatural. And so I've been looking up different revivals, and there's this one revival that really has captured my heart, and I've been studying it the last little while, and it's the Brownsville Revival in Pensacola. Um, it happened in 1995, the year that I was born, um, on Father's Day, and it's known as the Father's Day Outpouring. How many people have heard of the Brownsville Revival? Right. So I started to just read up about these guys and watch as many videos as I could and just see what actually happened. And here's something that, I, that, that really shocked me, and I want to encourage you with this, and I hope it mobilizes something in your heart. The Brownsville revival happened from 1995 and it, was, it lasted for five years. And in that five years, one church reached four million souls. Four million souls got saved in five years. And I started to go and watch these video clips of these guys getting together, the Father's Day outpouring on Father's Day. Steve Hill, who was an evangelist, he gets up and he's come over to preach just for Father's Day. He gets up and he starts to preach, and as he's preaching, you can feel something just starts to happen in the air. And the, the pastor of Brownsville Assemblies of God, his name was John Kilpatrick, he comes up to the front as Steve Hill begins to pray for people that come forward, and he's praying. And as John Kilpatrick walks up, he says he started to feel this like swirling around his legs. And he said it was as if there was water in the building. It felt like that. It felt like you were wading through water. And he said suddenly he turned around and he saw in the spirit that God had opened up this window and this flood began to come through into the church. And now there were thousands of people in this room. And so this water begins to come in and he can feel it swirling and suddenly he gets just totally taken in the spirit and he was actually against that before that moment. He gets wiped out on the stage and the Holy Spirit begins to fall. And for, for, from that day onwards, for five years, they had meetings every night. Divine healings, the most supernatural, incredible experiences. Just, I mean, people used to come from all over and line up outside. Buses used to come. They used to sleep overnight so that they could come and just be there. And they would see the most incredible, extraordinary things. But I started, one of the things that I'm interested about is I'm interested in the man. What happened that unlocked that? And so I started to read up about Steve Hill and, and John Kilpatrick. Steve Hill was a man who basically was so hungry for Jesus that he'd do anything. He got to a place where he said, God, I cannot live any longer unless I have more. I cannot live any longer unless I have more. And so he said, you know what? He started to just realize that there were moves of God going on and he just began to go to all of them. And so the revival happened in Argentina and he went to Argentina and spent seven years in Argentina just learning and, and watching and saying, God, this is what you created us for. This has to be it. And so he planted churches in Argentina and they're seeing amazing things. And then he comes across to Brownsville and begins to release this. And before I carry on with that, I want to talk about John Kilpatrick. John Kilpatrick is leading Brownsville Assemblies of God, thousands of people in his church. And every morning, three o'clock, he drives himself. Three o'clock in the morning, drives himself to the church, opens the church, goes in by himself, lies on the front of the hall and just begins to cry out saying, God, I got thousands of people in this building, but I need you. 
There has to be more. There has to be more. I need more. It can't just be this. There has to be more. And for months and months and months, he began to cry out, cry out, cry out. He began to pray. Father's Day 1995, an outpouring comes like they've never seen before. About three weeks before that outpouring, their youth group, the Brownsville Assemblies of God youth group, go on a youth camp. And the youth pastor describes this. He says, they're driving back from the youth camp. And he says, they, they left late at night, and so they were driving through the night. He says, it was probably, they left at about 6 p.m. And as they left, the youth in this bus started to, they got together and said, let's just pray. Let's begin to ask God for a revival. Let's just cry out. And so they started to pray. And he said, the first hour went by and they didn't stop. They just held the intensity. Second hour, third hour. He said, it got to 12 o'clock at night. They're still driving on their way home. And he said, he turned to his wife. He said, do you think they're ever gonna stop? They just continued and continued and continued. Gets to like two o'clock in the morning. And he says, and a couple of them have fallen asleep. And he looks in the review mirror and he sees at the back, there's this group of girls crying, just weeping, worshiping Jesus, crying out for revival. And he turned to his wife and he says, something big's about to happen. Three weeks later, an outpouring like they've never seen before comes. Azusa Street, William J. Seymour, a black man at the time facing incredible racism, passionate about the Holy Spirit, even though he wasn't baptized in the Holy Spirit himself. He comes across to um, Los Angeles and he, he gets to pastor a church and he starts to preach the baptism of Holy Spirit and they kick him out of his own church. And so he ends up in a little house with a whole group of believers, hungry believers that just want Jesus. And he just starts to preach about the baptism of Holy Spirit, something that he hasn't experienced himself. He wants it desperately, but he hasn't experienced it. And he just starts to preach it. And there's one man who comes up in the lounge and says to him, would you lay hands on me? I need this. And so he lays hands on this guy and the presence of God falls in the room and everyone in the room starts to get filled with Holy Spirit. So much so that there's a young girl who starts to sing out in eight different languages. She walks up to a piano that she's never touched in her life and she starts to play. And it births a revival that to this day is still shaking the nations. What I wanna encourage you with this morning is that there's more. There's more, there's more, there's more than your little mediocre life. There's more. Your life doesn't have to be normal. Life in Jesus is extraordinary. The reason, the reason why we are living normal, mediocre lives is, is because we don't have a relationship with Him. We have got so used to being in His presence, but we don't actually know His heart. My heart today, I, I, know, I, I know there's a gift on me to speak to people, and I can preach a great sermon, and I, I don't want to do that. I want to inspire your hearts this morning to cry out for more and to say, Jesus, there's got to be more for my life. There's got to be more for this church. There's got to be more for Johannesburg. There's got to be more for our nation. Smith Wigglesworth gets radically touched by Jesus and he hears of this baptism in the Holy Spirit. And he's been praying for it for weeks, months, and he hears that there's this meeting going on in Sutherland where people are getting filled with the Holy Spirit. The fire of God is falling. And so he chats to his wife and she says, you can go. And he goes off with a friend and goes to this place. And he's actually the guy sitting in the meetings that's like quite disruptive. He's calling the pastor out and making comments and chirps and whatever. He was that kind of guy. 
And at the end of one of the meetings, he, he really wants Holy Spirit, and he comes up to the front, and a lady lays hands on him. And he goes into a vision and gets hit with the fire of God and gets so full of Holy Spirit. For three days, he's shaking and trembling, and they, he just couldn't speak. He couldn't do anything. Three days filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the same man that would walk up to people, punch them in the stomach, and their cancer would fall out on the ground. A plumber. John G. Lake hears about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's hungry. For seven months, seven months, he fasts and he prays and he cries out for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Not just goosebumps for the, the possession of the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit would come and possess every part of him. And he's been, he's been praying for seven months and he goes with his friend to pray for a lady who I uh, think she had cancer in her stomach as well, stomach and somewhere else. I can't remember, maybe it was in her back. And he says, uh, his friend, I think his name was Tom, he goes up and they start praying and as John G. Lake begins to walk up to this lady, he starts to feel this intense heat over his body. And he goes and he puts his hand on this lady and the power of God hits this lady and she flies back and the cancer falls out of her body. And he gets hit by the power, he falls down and he just begins to weep and the Holy Spirit takes total possession of him. This is the same man who was here in Johannesburg, lived in Germiston, would literally get phone calls with people that had cancer and growth and would drive over to their house, pray for them, the cancer would fall out. There's one story where a lady had cancer in her stomach and in her head, a, a tumor in her head, and he went and prayed for her stomach, the cancer fell out, he put it in a see-through bag and he told the testimony of it, but he didn't have time, so he sent, the following week, he sent an 18-year-old who had just got saved in his church, he sent him to go pray for this lady's tumor and gave him a see-through bag to collect the tumor. And he goes off, this is right here in Johannesburg, folks. And he goes off to this lady and prays for her. The tumor comes out of her head. He puts it in the bag and brings it back to John G. Lake. My heart this morning is just to encourage you to say there's so much more. There's so much more, beloved. In 1947, Franklin Hall wrote a book called The Atomic Power of Prayer and Fasting. And it was a book that shaked, it shook the nations. It honestly, they were, it started a movement of prayer and fasting where they gathered a whole bunch of people in San Diego. They get together and they do a time of extended prayer and fasting. Some of them did 40 days, some of them did longer than 40 days on water. The most supernatural thing, thousands of people get together and start to pray and fast. And guess what happens? I think it was 1948, Israel becomes an independent nation. 1949, Billy Graham begins his ministry. They begin to see one of the greatest harvests that the world has ever seen. See, before any Jesus movement is a Jesus fast. And I feel like we've been in a place where God's actually pre preparing us. God's actually been shaping us. He's been molding us. He's been getting us ready. And here's what I wanna encourage you with. We have to, have to, have to surrender and get over ourselves and stop looking at our own lives and living and building our own self-empire and trying to establish our own thing. We've gotta lay it all down and say, God, what is your dream? What is your story? What do you wanna do? I'm just a vessel. I'm just, I just wanna yield to you so that you become the yes inside of me so that I can actually advance the kingdom and see your kingdom come. I wanna see revival in South Africa. I wanna see revival in the nations. I wanna see this church rocked to the core. Do you know that the vision behind this church is revival? I remember my sister having a dream and she said in this dream, we walked through the door and people, there, there was no band, the band hadn't even got on the stage and there was music playing. The sound of a harp, if I'm, yeah, the sound of a harp. And she said people were just scattered all over the ground, just totally 
out of it just drinking in Holy Spirit, just totally in love with Jesus. And she said people would come walking through and just kind of find their place in the hall and just get lost in Jesus before the service even started. We're going there. That's where, that's where we're going. Where people get healed before they've even walked through these hall doors. So I want to talk about relationship with Jesus because what you've got to understand is every single one of you are called. Every single one of you are called to revival. Every single one of you are called to live in the supernatural. There's only one thing that separates you from anyone else and it's your response. There is nothing different between us and these incredible men who did these amazing things for Jesus. There is nothing different. It's the same call, but they actually said yes. See, your yes is not just a word. It's a posture of your life. It's saying, God, nothing else matters but you. I give you everything. I lay it all down. Do you know that in order to say yes, you have to say no to something else? What we've got stuck on is that we are so good now in society at saying yes to everything. We don't know how to say no anymore. And the problem with that is we don't know how to prioritize anymore. But God is raising up a generation right now. God is raising up a people. God is, is, the local church is beginning to rise up. It's beginning to shine because suddenly there's a yearning, there's a burning inside of a remnant of people that are hungry for more, that they know that we were born for the supernatural. They know that we were born for more than mediocre, that, that church services like this, which are beautiful, it's not okay that it's just a routine thing. We come together and sing some songs, feel good, listen to a, a good preach. There's got to be more. If one church could see four million people come to know Jesus, I want to be that church. And if that was in 1995, it means that there's more now. I want to give you a practical tool that changed my life and my relationship with Jesus. There's three, there's three types of Christians in terms of relationship with Jesus. This is where majority of us are at. We make a mistake. We pick up our mistake and we go, Lord, I did it again. I'm so sorry. Or Lord, I haven't been spending time with you. Or Lord, whatever it is, we take our inadequacy, we take our failures, we take our disappointments and we hold them up and it, we, we put it between us and God. And we go like, God, I'm so sorry. Look at what I did. Majority of us do that, right? There's another group of people that have their disappointments, their failures, their sin, their whatever it is. You know what it is in your life. And because we've heard this grace message that kind of makes us feel like everything's gonna be okay and I know that he loves me, I just keep doing the same thing, focused on the same thing, focused on the same way of life, never changing because you know what? He still loves me anyway. And then there's a third group of people that might make those mistakes, but they understand the gospel and they go, God, I thank you that this isn't who I am. I put it behind me and I look into your face, face to face, and I get closer to you than I was before I did that. And because I'm getting closer and closer and closer to you, this is disappearing. This is happening less and less and less. There's so many of us, I've, and the reason why I'm sharing this is because I've had the conversations with people in this community that are stuck. And they're so desperate for freedom and they're trying so hard. And I'm saying, stop picking up your inadequacies and your failures and all that stuff and putting it between you and God. Your heart is so pure and genuine that you're going, God, I'm so sorry. And he's saying, I died for that. 
I don't even see it anymore. It's not even there. It's out the way. You're free. In fact, in your deepest, darkest hour, in the midst of your darkest sin, I look at you and I see myself and I'm ready for intimacy with you. See, what? some of you might be like, I've heard this before and I'm saying that's awesome, but if you don't understand this, you won't know how to have relationship with Jesus. In the midst of your toughest situation and your darkest season, when everything seems to be going wrong, your father is looking at you and saying, we are totally one. Nothing can come between us. Nothing can separate us. In the, in the time of, of stress and when work seems to get really tough and situations, life comes and starts to squeeze you, you can come before your dad and have total access to the fullness of heaven no matter what. Even if you kicked the dog five seconds before. The reason why we don't go forward, the reason why Christians have been, we are seeing an immaturity in believers where they're not going forward into this lifestyle of revival because they're still stuck on themselves. They're still stuck on, I keep making the same mistake. And of course you are because you keep picking it up and putting it between you and Jesus. It's not about your mistakes. Why would Jesus die for you and cover, cover you in his blood and, and, and do, pay the ultimate sacrifice only to make it difficult for you to actually have relationship with him? The whole point was that he actually redeems you into a place where you actually look like Jesus no matter what. It's not on your own strength. You're covered in the blood of Jesus. You come before him. Holy Spirit cries out on your behalf and you have total oneness. It's called revival. It's called something that was dead that's come to life. If we understand this revelation, then every day you live revived. Because it doesn't matter what the day is going to look like. See, Jesus isn't my lucky charm that's going to get me a better day or get me that promotion or get me whatever. Jesus is my king. He didn't ask for me to say a little prayer and accept him in my life. He asked for my whole life. See, surrender is not a choice. (laughs) We make surrender. God, today I give you this part of my life that I haven't surrendered to you. Come on, I've prayed that prayer. That is not surrender. Surrender is that actually I came face to face with Jesus and I said, it's all yours, the whole thing. And now every day, the good fight of faith is that I live aware of that. I wake up every day and I know, Father, I've given you everything. My whole life is yours. I've yielded to you. Regardless on whether I feel like it or not, it's yours. See, we've become so wishy-washy because we understand, oh, wow, he loves me so much and, and, you know, it doesn't matter what I do. Well, the reality is it does matter what you do now that you have Jesus because you were called to become like him. So there's those three types of Christians. Majority of us are picking up this stuff and there's nothing that can separate you between, nothing that can separate you from Jesus. There's nothing that, that stands between you and we take this stuff and we put it between the two of us and we get stuck because we constantly feel like we just haven't got it. And then there's this other group of people that are just, they think it's okay to just continue to stay in this place because God loves me and everything's all right. And they never see revival in their, in their lives. But then there's this third group of people that are saying, God, there is nothing between you and me. And I wanna live in that place every day. And I wanna encourage you today that if you do that, you're about to see a move of God in your life like you've never seen before. I was gonna read um, John 15 we might come back to it just now, and you can go through that. But here's the reality of it. Without him, I have nothing to offer. So why are we trying to live a life where we think like we can actually make a difference, whether it's in your business or whatever, if we don't root that thing in actually relationship with Jesus? I cannot do a thing. I, I am totally ineffective if I'm not in the river with Jesus, if I'm not living in that place of oneness with him, if I'm not aware of him. 
If I, if I learn how to abide, if I learn how to live in this place, if I learn how to understand that, God, this is what I was created for. Before anything else, my yes was a yes to the secret place. My yes was a yes to the inner room where I learned to hear his voice. Because what makes a man walk up to an old lady and punch her in the stomach three times before the cancer falls out? Only hearing the voice of God. You go do that now, you probably get a hiding. I read about these guys, A.W. Tozer. I was reading one of his interns said this guy was so just needing, he want, wanted more of God. He was so hungry that he'd come to the office, he'd greet everyone, he'd go straight into um, his little office room and close the door. And he said the intern would come in just to have a look that he was okay and he'd be on his face in his office. And so he'd leave it and he'd lock it, they'd carry on doing their work and he'd come back three hours later, open the door. He hadn't moved. Same place on his face. Close the door, carry on, they'd come back another two, three hours later, open the door, he hadn't moved. Eight hours in a day, this man would be on his face saying, Jesus, I will not move until I have all of you. See, here's what I wanna encourage you with. There's a hunger that Holy Spirit starts to put inside of you. We're, we haven't seen an outpouring like Acts 2, which means it's coming. <laughs> what makes a man sell everything and move to the Middle East? What makes a group of five ladies drop everything and go to Nepal? Nepal. What's in Nepal? People. Every single day, if you, if you live in this place with this relationship with Jesus, everywhere that you go, you're gonna realize that there are people standing in front of you that are lost and dying. And you've got the answer and you're walking past them every single day. Are they looking at your life and seeing something so rich and so beautiful that they begin to ask you questions, the big questions? I, I, I only have faith for one thing this morning and I believe that there's an outpouring that he wants to pour out on us. But here's what I, here's what I know. I, this morning, I, I, I don't wanna do anything other than actually just go, Jesus, would you just come and totally possess this house? Would you just totally come and fill every single one of us? I don't wanna move, I don't wanna, I'm so hungry, but here's the thing, are you? Because when I look at these videos of these people, there's only one difference between us and them. And it's their hunger, it's their response. It's a group of people that are prepared to linger a little longer, that they don't wanna go anywhere else. They're so hungry for Jesus that they're like, God, I, nothing else matters. You can have it all. And he's doing it. He's doing it across the nation. He's doing it in the nations of Africa and into the rest of the world. There's something that's starting to happen. There's something that's starting to shake because the bride is being prepared. The bride is being made ready because he's coming back. And so here's what I wanna share. We wanna, we wanna be a bride that begins to represent heaven where, where the world can look at us and see intimacy between us and Jesus. But it starts with us learning to be the bride on our own, on our knees in our bedroom floor. It starts with us understanding how to have intimacy and relationship with Jesus on our own so that when we come together, a whole group of the lovers of God are in the same room, hungry and desperate for more of Jesus. And when that starts to happen, Holy Spirit begins to invade. And when he begins to invade, he doesn't need permission.
across this room right now are vessels of refreshment for the local church. Every single one of you are, are vessels to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he wants to pour his oil out on you and then he wants to turn you upside down, light you on fire, inside out, right way up. I don't wanna be a, a group of people that are really good at discussions. I wanna be a person that lives in the supernatural and visits the natural so that I can communicate with you. <laughs> I, wanna live, I wanna live in the fullness. Hebrews 12, I think it's verse two or three. We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus. who birthed faith within us and will lead us forward into faith's perfection. See, my heart cries out for some of you here this morning, and that's why I'm struggling to move on from this because some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the manifest presence, the glory of God, heaven on earth. Nothing's the same after that. I was listening to some interviews of these guys years and years after the Brownsville revival. All they have to say is the Brownsville, and as they start to say the Brownsville revival, they just begin to weep. Because things happened in those five years that changed them forever, that shaped them and, and molded them and, and, and turned them into the people that they are today, lovers of God. And my heart breaks because revival's been seasonal and God's never designed it to be seasonal. The problem is we start to get in the way because we make it about us again and it's always been about Jesus. And if we would get a group of people that would just surrender and yield, I, I believe that this last outpouring is the last one. It's the most incredible outpouring that the world has ever seen, where it's not just gonna be one church, but it's gonna be across the nations, where the world begins to look at this and go, oh my goodness, it's Jesus. Do you realize that we're trying to prepare the bride, that we're getting her ready for him to come back? The spirit and the bride say, come. What does that mean? It means that the bride has prepared herself and is living from this place of intimacy, that she's so close to the spirit that together they have one voice, that one, the spirit and the bride have become one, and they're saying, Jesus, come. And not only are they saying, Jesus, come, but they're crying out to lost sons and daughters and saying, come. The spirit and the bride. There is nothing this morning that disqualifies you from this. Nothing. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just totally saturate every mind right now. Just begin to rewire and change the thinking patterns and do a work that only you can do, Lord. I remember a couple of weeks ago, I was playing drums. And I had, I've only had two of these experiences in my life. But I was playing the drums and we went into this rhythmic thing. I don't know what it was because... We just started, and I started to play like I've never played before. And uh, I, 
I went into this vision where I started to see the drum section of heaven, and I saw these angels playing the drums. And I was watching them, and I felt myself repeating what they were playing without even trying. It was just happening. And um, while this was happening, this one of the angels comes out and introduces himself to me. And he introduced himself as Jeremy. And I thought, oh, that's a strange name like for an angel or whatever. But I went and looked it up, and it's a Hebrew name, and it means exalted of the Lord. And so this angel comes up, and he introduces himself to me, and he starts to explain to me what's happening. And he says, the drumline of heaven has been released because it's the call to arms. He's releasing a sound, and he's calling sons and daughters across the nation. It's the call to arms. He's saying, now is the time. Now is the time for revival. Now is the time to advance the kingdom. Now is the time to see the local church begin to arise and shine. Now is the time for sons and daughters that every single day they wake up with the same reason for living. It's to know him and to make him known. They live from a place of intimacy. There is an overflow that is beginning to pour out from within them. Rivers of living water that is flowing into every sphere of influence where business boardroom meetings and stay-at-home moms and kids at school and universities are getting flipped upside down by lovers of God that have no other reason for existence other than to manifest heaven on the earth, where nothing can hold us back. There's a sound. Krista heard it this morning. It's been the same sound all along. It's the sound of the father calling sons and daughters back into intimacy. It's the sound of the father calling the sons and daughters to rise up and be who he created them to be because he's in a hurry. He's in a hurry. There's an urgency about what he's doing. And I think this is what we're picking up this morning. There's an urgency about what he's doing. And I really believe that today you've got a choice in your heart to make. Are you going to be someone that watches history being made? Or are you going to be someone that makes history? Because he's about to do something right now that is going to shake the earth. I believe that he's unlocking the creatives again. The church is not gonna look like what it's always looked like. There's gonna be so much color and vibrancy and expressions of his nature and expressions of God. I believe that God's raising up intercessors again intercessors for the nations that would, it's almost a John the Baptist mantle, preparing the way for sons and daughters, launching sons and daughters into their destinies, into the nations, understanding the mandate of heaven on the earth and calling people to arms. I'd encourage you to go and read John 15. I never got to it. Can you lift your hands for me? I want to do something today, and, and please, if you do have to go, um, I understand, and you can, you can go. We don't close our meetings, so please feel free to go. But if you're hungry and you're ready for something so big, so great, if you're ready for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit like we have never seen before, then I think this is an adequate, uh, uh, the right time for us to just linger a little longer 
and just to seek and say, God, we don't just want to be a people that hear good sermons. We want to be a group of people that are so hungry for you that heaven begins to invade. So I just want to ask you to display your hunger this morning. If you want to, if you want to find a space, you don't have to be in your rows. You can, you can find that space where it's just you and Jesus. But I just want us to go back into a little bit of a time of worship now and just begin to cry out. Let's just begin to seek Jesus. Let's just begin to say, God, I'm, I'm posturing my life in a place right now where you can totally come and invade. I surrender everything to you and just begin to display that hunger and say, God, come Come and do it. Just come and do it. Come and do what only you can do, Lord. So I just want us to, even just if it's in your, whatever, your own words, you can just begin to just speak out to Jesus. Just begin to talk to him. Begin to cry out. Begin to say, Lord, come and do. Come and do what only you can do, Holy Spirit. But I want you to raise your voices. I want you to begin to speak out. Display your hunger. Just begin to call out and say, Jesus, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and possess. Come and take control. Come and invade.